Welcome back, everyone, and welcome to Cut and Splice. This is Matt. This is Jason. And this is Gil. And I'm very happy to uh, also welcome my good friend and collaborator and one of the best filmmakers with whom I've personally worked and uh, the rest of us have previously worked, uh, Lawan Johnson. Uh, just give us a shout out, Lawan. What's up? You just put the pressure on me. okay no no yeah so uh this time around we are talking about terrence malick's film from 1998 the thin red line uh this is oddly i i i think probably one of his more polarizing movies uh I mean, Terrence Malick has always been a a love it or hate it kind of filmmaker. Uh, I'm generally a love it kind of guy, but e- even among the love it kind of guys, the Thin Red Line is um, uh, one of his more um, you know up for debate movies. Uh, it it's obviously well well, not obviously set in world war ii in the pacific uh it's a three hour long methodically paced very pondering movie and i mean obviously if you've seen a terrence malick movie you kind of expect that uh but um you know and it 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 also came out the same year as saving private private ryan and so as a result, you know, like the, the two movies tend to get, um, tend to get compared a lot, but, uh, Pretty much anyway, inevitable. yeah. Uh, so I'll kind of just open up, open it up to, um, to you three guys and I'll, uh, shut up for a minute. No, uh, so I was going to say, um, too, um, yes, thank you, Luan, for uh, coming and, and the reason why, oh we have you specifically for this is um is because you have a very strong connection to the films of terence malick and 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 to terence himself right yes yes sir and uh, and you told us right before the recording that uh you've notified <laughs> him that we're we're doing this discussion so uh and i'm, I'm glad he gave uh the okay <laughs> so we're not uh <laughs> me, too. me too yeah <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and, uh, cool. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is very cool, and uh, and we're excited to do this because we've been meeting. We've brought his name up several times over the course of this podcast in various ways, but we this is the first movie that we've done of his directly, and uh, it's it's perfect that that you're here because uh, we've discussed him so many times between us, but now we can really get into it. <laughs> um, Absolutely. And I think the reason why we chose this movie is because we want to find movies where there might be more division about the opinion about it so we can really get to the bottom of it so we can hear sort of both sides. Um, I I, I was going to ask us to start leap off of what Matt said and and let me know what you think, Luan, too. As, As I was thinking about this movie, to me, this actually reminds me 
uh, even though it came out the same year as Private Ryan, I think it's from it's more to me closer to um, to f- Full Metal Jacket than say Saving Private Ryan, um, Platoon, um, you know, Apocalypse Now, some of those other war movies. Because because to me personally, this movie is is much. It's not really a war movie as much as it is an exploration of the um, the. Um, the way Kubrick said this is the, because he made Paths of Glory and people told him like, why are you doing another war movie? He says like, um, and he says like, well, no, I, I don't want to make a war movie. I want to, I want to, I made a movie that's like anti-war. Uh, I want to make a movie about the phenomenon that is war. And this is what I feel like this movie is, where other movies are something different altogether. Mm. Um, well, what do you think about that that comparison? Well, I I I agree um, that you know the one the one thing about because uh, you mentioned platoon and 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 and, uh, and apocalypse now I, I even put those in a different category. Um, I put thin red line and uh, and full metal jacket kind of kind of in the same boat to some degree. Um, and the primary, I mean, <laughs> the primary reason I, I, I put them in there is because uh, of what the film, the, the basically you're seeing master filmmakers tell a story or, or make a film um, of a of a subject matter that has been done in Hollywood and has been popularized in a way in Hollywood. I mean, a Full Metal Jacket was kind of under the radar compared to like the platoon and and thin red line was definitely looked on looked upon as the understudy of saving private ryan so i i believe i put them in the same category for that i put them in the same category as it is deeper than just a war film it's 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 uh it's so much more than that and it's something that in my opinion um you can go through multiple screenings and catch something new every time, particularly with Full Metal Jacket and Thin Red Line. Cool. I mean, what do you think, um, like Matt and Jason? Do do you, do you think that sort of makes sense as far as that that comparison? Like at least, um, if not taking the years into account, or they came out at different times. I think it's. Uh, I think it bears a lot of similarities to Full Metal Jacket, but um, kind of for different reasons. Yeah, uh, I mean, because Full Metal I, I, Jacket it, it would be better for me to talk about it after we go into spoilers, though. Get into spoilers, yeah. But like yeah. Full Metal Jacket, without spoiling it too much, is is that Kubrick wasn't interested in showing war scenes for the sake of just showing a war. Uh, he was. That's why the movie starts without a war. It starts in oh. boot camp. Like it starts at the origin, and he was fascinated by how do you take an innocent boy and turn him into a killing machine. And mm-hmm. um, and you take that that path with these soldiers all the way to the end, and you know, and from there, like you know, it's, uh, there's more to it as as things evolve, uh, uh, and the climax is just genius, like the way that movie ends. But but you know, let's not spoil that. Maybe we'll do it someday. Um, That'd be a good one. Yeah, but it's it's really just being interesting, interested in in a in a facet of war that's within it. The boys that turn into killers, and and this movie. Uh, without spoiling too much, it really focuses on the experiences of the humans, the creatures 
that are planted in this situation that's called war and and it's it's so much more <laughs> and they're not even that the war is just one of the many things that's on their minds and uh, and that's why i think there's some similarities because it's exploring it it's almost the setting but it's really not what it's about um you know, nobody cares who's conquering what. There's a plot, but it's really not what this is about. Just like, just like, Full yeah. Metal Jacket. Yeah, and I, I, I think it's an apt comparison. Uh, you know, especially upon rewatch, because I, I, I think that I've seen Thin Red Line like eight times before oh, I, yeah. I, 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 before I watched it again for this episode. <laughs> Uh, and you know, it, it, the thing is, it's hard to compare it to either. I I don't think that is comparable to saving private Ryan in just about any way. Well, well, except that, you know, they're both world war two movies, uh, because so much of saving private Ryan is there's characters all directed at the same goal in finding meaning. And in in all this madness, you know, as Tom Sizemore said at the end of the movie, uh, you know, like maybe Saving Private Ryan is the one good thing that we can pull out of this shitty mess and everything. In Thin Red Line, so many characters that you actually get to know, like, are there is no meaning to this. Because it, it, you don't it, get it, to know them. I don't think that that's true. I think that it's just the reality of war that, you know, small mistakes, uh, you know, end in your death because, you know, that's just the reality of being around these weapons all, all day. You know, like th this is just, uh, you know, you know, people, I mean, if, everybody is fighting their own war in their own way. And uh, I mean, I think it's one of the greatest strengths and one of arguably one of the weaknesses of the movie that, you know, it, it, it isn't about coming to one conclusion. It is about coming to multiple, multiple conclusions from multiple different perspectives. Uh, but, uh, I, I, I mean, at least that's what I'm kind of, you know, pushing out of my head right now, but, uh, yeah. Um, I, 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 and again, I'm trying not to spoil anything before we get into, yeah, we might have to you get know, to that, that section. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what, what would be like, um, start with you, Matt, like what would be your rating for it? Eight and a half. Hmm. Okay. Um, yeah. Jason. I'd probably go with a five. Five. Cool. <laughs> Um, for, uh, I mean, for me, it's back, back when, when I first watched it, I gave it a seven. Um, I, based on my rewatching, I, I want to give it an eight. Like I want to nudge it up, but, but I almost need to be convinced to some degree. I liked it better, but I don't know if, if enough to, uh, cause let's say if my, if it was a low seven, then I might be like 7.8, 7.9 now, but I'm really like close to an eight. And and as far as recommending the movie, I, I do feel like that the 
that it's 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 a tough sell and it's and not only that it, it's also it could mislead people because if you see a, a trailer with a bunch of soldiers and guns people have this expectations of exciting battles and stuff and there's a little bit of this in here but this is not <laughs> your dad's war movie <laughs> I, know, I, like, I think yeah. the trailer was misleading if i remember correctly uh, might be. I didn't rewatch it for this, but but it doesn't matter. It's uh, yeah. You definitely needed to market this. Like this needed to be a trailer, even though the movie itself is not, uh, is not the classic, Terrence Malick, um, flowy, dreamlike. There's moments of it. There's flashbacks. There's sequences, but the movie itself is shot pretty normally compared to um some of his other work and um but still the pacing the the poetry the 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 voiceover that stuff if you're not prepared for it you're you're gonna get smacked in the face and and a lot of people might not get with it but if you know that this is what it's going for and if the trailer were to sell that way and i think it did a little bit i think if i'm not mistaken the trailer the shots of the kids feet like in the water sort of like the whole imagery and stuff i think was a little bit in it but um but yeah you need to understand that it's 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 an art film (laughs) it's not a war film that that's pretty much needs to be the selling point it's an art film set in a war basically um yeah. So, so, so you don't like getting slapped in the face, okay? No, I uh, like it, but I think a lot of yeah. people, uh, a lot of people like. Uh, but even me, I, if yeah. I'm sitting down to watch a movie, it would be nice to know that this is not a war movie. There's soldiers, but it's 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 an art film. It's an art house movie that's three hours long, and there's a bunch of soldiers in it. But it but it's but you need to be prepared for that mentally. Um, yeah, but but otherwise, if that's what you're going yeah. for, I, I think this does a really good job, and and I think you should watch it for that reason. I, I definitely, definitely, if you're a movie lover, you should watch this because it's amazing to see what in the right hands could be done with a war movie. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, that's that's what I think. Um, what about you, Luan? As far as um... well, it's, it's hard for me to to give it a ranking because. Um, and but what, what I will say from the start is I would say I, w- I would give it a nine nine and a half, um, and the reason for that is because um, I was <laughs> when I graduated from high school my first year of college uh, before I went into the military I was told by a professor that I needed to see this film because um, I hadn't watched it I was a Saving Private Ryan buff um, and I had the DVD of Thin Red Line but never watched it and. She kept telling me I had to watch this film. And so I watched it and I did not appreciate it until after I got back from Iraq. Then it changed everything for me, you know? Uh, And so my experiences in the war, my experiences in that life uh, changed my whole perception of the film. So I would say that in, in 1998, 99, I probably would have given it a six, but in 2005, 2006, I gave it a a nine, and I stand with that even with rewatching it. Um, I watched it again today, um, and I, I hadn't watched it since I bought the Criterion. So 
Um, and that, I don't remember how long that was. So I hadn't watched it in a while, but I was like, you know, yeah, this movie is, is very, very special. And, uh, when we get to the spoiler things, I'll explain why I think it's, it's so special, but yeah, I, I, I agree with what, what, what all of you are saying. Um, but I would almost challenge, uh, when you say that it's a, it's an art film and war is a part of it. I almost want to say, you know what, it's still very much a war film. It's just told with a different lens. Um, and like I said, when we get to the spoiler part, then I want to definitely share that because I think that um, we can't have a million Saving Private Ryans. <laughs> you know what I mean? And we can't have a million Thin Red Lines. Uh, I, and I think that that's what makes Thin Red Lines special in its own right, is that it's it's not like Platoon or, or Saving Private Ryan. Cool. So I guess uh, we could get into the spoilers. So if, if you want to start us off, um, one. Yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah. <laughs> spoilers. spoilers. Uh, well, OK. Um, you guys stop me at any moment. Um, uh, stop. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, one, the, one thing that, the one thing that I would say about, about this film is that where, I mean, starting with, you know, Saving Private Ryan, uh, I want to say that, you know, obviously both films are cinematic masterpieces, uh, Saving Private Ryan and Thin Red Line. And they came out at the same time. And um, but where Saving Private Ryan, you're it's an intimate film in a sense that it's intimate where you know who your characters are. Uh, I think Matt and Gil, you guys mentioned this earlier. Um, you know who your characters are. You know what the mission is. You know what you're trying to do. So for that, it's it's intimate. And it's gritty and dirty. The way they boosted that shutter speed up in the film and made you feel like you were actually, you know, you know, <laughs> in, in D-Day, you know, and how dirty and grimy it was. That was beautiful. That was great cinema. Great cinema. I think what Terry did with Thin Red Line is he made it intentionally unintimate. And you find intimacy in it not being intimate. And the reason, and, and the point I'm making is that we have these different characters, all these different characters, but there's no star, even though there was star power in the film, um, there's no star whatsoever. Um, because in truth is in war is nothing but faces. You know what I mean? So when you think about it, I think that it was almost genius to make the movie um, look like one thing and be about something else. Uh, I know that some of the criticism that was received was that, you know, Adrian Brody was promoted in this film and was and was cut out of the film uh, for the most part. He was supposed to be a leading, <laughs> a leading character in the film, and he was cut out to a, a couple of lines and about five minutes of screen time. Um, and and I know that a lot of the you know some of the actors with their egos were upset that they weren't in the film as much as they thought they should have been. But I think that that's the point. You know, when you're dealing with real war situations, you're going to deal with different faces, different type of people, and there's not a there's not a hero. We don't have a Tom Hanks here being the hero of a bunch of soldiers. You know, we don't you know, we don't have that. And and I think that that is what made the film very special. Um, not to mention the fact that you know the original cut of the film was five hours long. So the you know the fact that the film was so long. Um, there, there was so much that could have been done beyond just the, you know, the, the movie that we saw. I was going to say, I forgot to mention it in the, in the review section is the cast is, is incredible. 
And and I did think exactly what you yeah. thought is that uh, sometimes it works to the advantage of the movie if, um, like, say, in Band of Brothers and some of those were like, if if the faces are not recognizable. Also, Underground Railroad, I felt like, were all the actors, the the slaves, and because they were not very familiar faces, you felt like you were just like dumped into a a time and place, and you were just completely transformed formed by that experience but but here it's the complete opposite effect because you know you're watching a movie it's almost like postmodern in a way because every face is recognizable and i did i was like did these people like i mean john c Riley was already in uh, boogie nights you know when he did this and you know, woody harrelson was in a bunch of stuff in the mid 90s so these were like each of these people could have led this movie but none of them did and and that's brilliant. Uh, I, 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 it's just it's it's very interesting because then you engage with them so easily, without them even having a role. And I thought that was a very interesting choice. Yeah, and uh, uh, Jesus was the main character without even being Jesus yet. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's very true. <laughs> <laughs> what what I was what I learned about this film is that there were so many directions that the movie could have went as far as main characters are concerned. Um, and because they shot so much and they continued shooting, um, you know, like I said, Adrian Brody was supposed to be the lead and didn't find out that he wasn't the lead until <laughs> a premiere to a premiere. Right. So, um, and I'd again, have been pissed, you know, I mean, yeah, I, I, you know, I, but I think that when it, when it comes down to the bigger picture being the, the fact that the story needs to be told, um, you know, I, I, I mean, how, how, how Terry handled that particular situation, I, I don't know, but I just, I kind of feel like, you know, well, yeah, I mean, you know, um, when actors put in their work for a movie, they expect to, you know, be able to be seen, um, and so, you know, how that how does that work? But I know that there were so many different directions that um, that could have they could have went to to tell this story. Uh, so many different directions. So yeah, you know, and the funny thing is, you know, upon another rewatch, I I still come back to Adrian Brody's character of uh, uh, Fife. This is one of the best actors in the movie. Like. You know, I, I, I mean, he's doing so much with just his eyes and his reactions. Whatever you see him, this guy really is a talent that we've kind of elevated to the top of the world and then kind of dumped on afterward. And not like, no, this guy's good. This guy's really good, and he's always been really good. And Terrence Malick clearly understood that he was really good. And I think this was before the pianist, right? So, I mean, like... Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> right. So, I mean... I, I, I mean, he cast a lot of stars, like, you know, Sean Penn, and... You know, it, by the way, Nick Nolte, one of his best performances ever. That I'll agree with, for sure. Easily. Uh... <laughs> Uh, John Cusack, uh, by the way, I, I think that uh, the whole thing between uh, Elias Kotes and um, John Cusack and Nick Nolte's, 
you know, whole decision in in that area and everything was was actually kind of brilliant because Elias Cotes looks like, you know, a big, strong, masculine guy who's just going to be gung-ho and take his men up the ridge. And John Cusack kind of looks like a, you know, smaller guy who might be a little bit more reticent. But Elias Cotes was the guy is going to be like, oh, you know what? I'm not going to take my men up that ridge because they're all going to die. <laughs> and, you know, he, he's the guy who didn't follow orders and, you know, like, you know, and it, it, there, there's just such a, a matter of perspective there. Uh, that's great. But, um, but yeah, I mean, Adrian Brody actually did stand out to me, even when I saw this movie for the first time, and didn't know who Adrian Brody was going to become as like, okay, this, this guy's got something going here. You've got a wide shot with like five guys in the frame and they're all in focus. And I'm looking at Adrian Brody and what his eyes are doing. Right. Yeah. To to me, I mean, I definitely agree about that. I think he did him a favor by doing that. Uh, so hopefully appreciated it to some degree, even though he had like less screen time. But um, but I feel like this movie to me almost feels like whose line is it anyway? That that show, um, that Drew Carey thing, the improv show where a lot of comedians like would and Curb Your Enthusiasm is the same way as well. Like these shows that people come on as guests almost as a challenge to see if they can pull off the improvisation and stuff. Um, I, I feel like this movie basically was was this opportunity for great actors to come in, do one or two scenes, and see if they can steal the show. Like, you know, George Clooney had one scene in the end. Like, Nick Nolte had a lot of scenery to chew. Like, he had more stuff to... You know, there's a few, like, uh, you know, uh, that had more scenes, Caviezel and, and Sean Penn. Uh, but still, even within that, um, and and we should get to Jason's criticism so we could get more into depth with that. But but it's it, it seems like it was an interesting challenge to have this these many characters and these many A list actors or just A list character actors and see how they can make so much out of so little. I I found that very um, very cool. Yeah. Uh, but that said, I, I do want to hear uh, Jason's opinion as far as the. Are you character. sure? I've, I give. Yeah, we need to get into I, that. I'm just, I'm just worried it's going to be a big downer. That's all. No, I mean, because then I, we can counter. <laughs> I'm just worried I'm going to completely ruin your view of this movie forever. And, <laughs> um... I think I'm already convinced. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um... In all seriousness, um, I think it's very important that I just start by saying that I really do like Terrence Malick. I've only seen four of his movies, but um, of those four, two of them I really, really liked. And um, I I just, uh, and I don't hate this movie. I did when I first saw it. I'll just say that. Like, I really disliked this movie when I first saw it watching it yesterday and the day before. Um, I really definitely, my opinion of it went up a lot, uh, from where it was, but, um, 
yeah, I don't know. It's um, it's kind of hard to know where to start. Like, I I think the movie's a mess. I couldn't help, but like as I was watching the movie, think about Brian Cox at the beginning of the movie adaptation. He's got this whole like thing where he's teaching a class for a bunch of writers and uh, Nick Cage is like trying to take notes and he's like all up in his head and stuff like that. And Brian Cox is just so passionate and he's yelling and he's like, and God help you. If you use voiceover in your work, my friends, God help you. It's flaccid, sloppy writing. And any idiot can write a voiceover narration to explain the thoughts of a character. And I just, that was just ringing through my mind the whole time I was watching this movie. <laughs> but um, it's, it's hard to know where to start. Like, like for one thing, it's weird. Um, it's weird to me that this movie is a world war two movie. I don't know how, I don't know how detailed you want me to get into this. Like, like at the beginning, right? So you, after the like 15 minute long thing, uh, on the Island, the little paradise Island thing, uh, you, they, they kind of sit down and you find out what's been going on. And Jesus and Spicoli have their serious conversation revealing that Jesus has been taking like a long AWOL vacation on his little island, right? But then you find out it's like his seventh time being AWOL. And then we spend like the next 30 minutes in the belly of the ship, like listening to all these different soldiers basically talk about how they have like no desire to be doing what they're doing. And like, I understand that. I am not built for war either. I'm sure if I was in a, a war, I would be very unhappy, you know? But like... You know, we don't spend the movie doesn't spend any time at all showing the Japanese or the Axis powers. It doesn't show like establish the worldwide threat that's like, you know, happening. The fact that there's like a, a you know, a country that's attempting a hostile takeover and in some cases genocidal takeover of the entire world. It doesn't show Pearl Harbor or anything like that. So it's kind of relying on our own knowledge of World War II and everything. But it's important uh, I, that, that I bring that up because none of that's established and all we're seeing is the negative views of the soldiers in the situation. And that's important because of oh, then also right after that scene, we see the brass, like the shitty brass, like, you know, making their terrible top down decisions with that, that um, well-written scene between um, Nick Nolte and, and Travolta, you know, and you're like, Oh, this is not going to go well. You know, and they're basically, you know, it's a pretty bad mission. You can already tell, you know, and essentially what I'm getting at with all of this is these are all things we see in war movies a lot, but we see them in Full Metal Jacket. We see them in Platoon. We see a little bit of it in Apocalypse Now. We see this in Vietnam movies because, you know, I mean, I wasn't there, but I think there's a really general consensus that vietnam was kind of a shitty war that we probably shouldn't have been in you know whereas like world war ii i mean for anyone who's watched band of brothers you know it's not even in the show just in the in the interviews with the real people who were there they're like talking about how like look like this is what was happening and everybody was on board and we were like we got to do something otherwise we're all going to die and they're like saying how I came from this one town and these two guys, there were only two men in the whole town, two boys 
who were 4F and they couldn't make it. They, they were not allowed to join the military and they commit suicide. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's a very different picture than what this movie is painting. And I'm not saying you can't make a movie like this. I'm just saying it's weird to make this kind of a movie about World War II. Because it was a more just war. No, not just. Just because, uh, by all accounts, it seems like it would have been different than what's being portrayed here. And I'm not saying that nobody felt this way in World War II. I'm saying if you're going to tell this specific kind of story in this specific kind of war, I feel like it, it behooves you to spend time explaining to the audience this is why these guys feel this way and why this is different than everything else you've seen. Because it just seems, I don't know, kind of inappropriate. Like it doesn't seem like it lines up with anything else that we, not not just that we've seen, but that we kind of know about the reality of that war. Are you considering the fact that, are you, are you, are you in, I, I'm, I'm asking, I'm, I'm yeah, asking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so are you kind of in a way saying that in order for you to enjoy a World War II movie or any movie for that matter, it has to have an, enough connect, uh, connecting the dots in order for you to enjoy it? No, um, I'm saying, let, let, me, let me try saying it this way. Let's say you were making a World War II movie uh, that fits the, the narrative that most of us have already kind of digested that the history books tell that the veterans tell that most other movies tell and you're just telling a story within that right that then i don't think i need the connective tissue that much but if you're telling a story that's wildly different that's like a 180 from that i think you need to justify it and this movie doesn't do any of that it puts us right in the middle of it and then tells a story that would be very much at home in Vietnam, not so much at home in World War II. You know, the thing is, though, um, and I've said this movie before, another movie that this reminds me of is Paths of Glory, uh, and that was World War I. Yeah. And, and that movie has nothing to do with World War I. You know, it's like a, it's a French, right, battalion or something. Yeah, and French. they're tr trying to conquer a hill that's impossible and they're going to put the lives of the soldiers in, in danger. So so they refuse the order. It goes into the trial and everything where this one doesn't. But it, but it is also another, a funny enough, combination of two Kubrick movies. But <laughs> uh, I, but the idea is, is that, like, you take World War One, which, again, probably was just to some degree and wasn't a, a fucked up war like Vietnam or something. All wars are fucked up, but, but you know, but, but it was focusing on one very narrow thing within that. And I think that's what this movie does. And you, you see the same thing in Paths of Glory. All the uh, soldiers are very low morale because of the circumstances. It's not as if the, you know, none of them are willing soldiers. It's just that within these set of circumstances, of a war and of an, a nearly impossible mission, uh, one can almost like lose all sense of morale, humanity, like all those things, and wanting to reconnect with that. And and it's right. just that's the story that he chose to tell. I, so I actually get, think that if it was done in quick. Vietnam, then Vietnam would have become a character in the movie where he wasn't going for that. So let me counter that real quick. Okay, so for starters. 
Paths of Glory, very good example to bring up. Paths mm -hmm. of Glory is about World War One, just like World War Two, just like Vietnam, just like every war. We we know certain things. We have a we as a society have a certain understanding of characteristics that apply to certain wars and not so much to other wars. Both Vietnam and the Civil War both share a very similar trait in that both of those wars uh, can be described as really horrific events, largely not just because they're wars, all wars are terrible, as you said, you know, it's definitely a very true statement, but the both of those wars are very different than every other one that we've talked about simply because both of them can be described as the the battlefield tactics were pretty much outdated compared to the battlefield tech so you still in both of those wars you had people like uh you they had machine guns and things like that that had just been invented but the tactics were still doing charges like over the you know over the trenches and across open land to try and take a position and stuff like that that's a perfect war to make a movie about pat like paths of glory about and i'm just saying i'm just saying that i don't see any problem with making a movie like this it would fit beautifully into a a vietnam movie and if you're going to set it in World War II, that's fine, too. I, I like what you said about how, like, he wanted to tell a story about how you put these people in this really rough situation and it, it starts to strip away their humanity. It starts to leave them in a, in a place with no hope and so on and so forth. I think if you're going to do that, you should do it kind of the way they did in the miniseries, The Pacific. You start out with the guys, you sh you give us examples of them being the kind of soldier that we would expect them to be these like, you know, I'm, they're obviously not happy to be there, but they're, you know, they feel a, an extreme sense of duty and they are, you know, you show the juxtaposition, show the beginning where they're one way, show the stuff they get into, show how that changes them and then show them at the end when they're torn up, beaten down and how that's changing them. This movie doesn't give us time to get to know anyone in that way. It doesn't show us them before. It only shows us them pissed off and angry in the bottom of the boat at the beginning of the movie, ready to go on this horrible mission that none of them want to be on. And I mean, like uh, showing that, that, you know, that, how what how that affects them and stuff and it's like we don't get any time with anybody other than uh jim caviezel nick nolte and a little bit of sean penn that's about it jason if you if you if you were and i'm i'm, I'm asking you this uh yes yeah. of uh, i'm hearing how you feel about it and i i feel your passion um about how you feel about it but the question I would I would ask you is, I mean, are to, for you to consider this. Yeah. Number one, if you were to be put into a situation like these men were, mm -hmm. you don't know anybody, you don't know why you're there, you just have a feeling inside of you. You have a, a poetry story inside of you. I think what the, the if you if you remember in the movie, if you guys remember in the movie, the be very very beginning of the movie, or not in the very beginning, I'm sorry, towards it's actually to more towards the end, um, where the narrator talks about hate and where does hate come from and where, you know, it, it, I'm paraphrasing, but yeah. then 
a while, it starts talking about love and where does it look. So I think that what it is 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 actually this film, and you you say you know Nick Nolte and 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 you know you know just Jim Caviezel and this that, and the other. I believe that it doesn't matter what voiceovers were because it represented all of the soldiers in their what's going on in their conscious, in their hearts, in their minds, and the war is there. And I and I I emphasize on this because. If you think about it, what you see in the movie, because the movie is beautifully shot, it is oh, yeah. absolutely, absolutely stunning to look at. And if you notice, through the movie, as you're watching the movie, you're seeing that nature is very much a character in this film also that is being ever-present as war is taking place. And I think that's where the difference between this movie and other war movies are. Plus, let's consider this, Jason. I do not believe that Thin Red Line has a beginning, middle, and end. I believe that you dro- you're dropped into the into the movie. You watch the film, and I'm saying film, not digital, because it was film, Matt. Bravo! You're dropped into the story and you're pulled out. And so I think that what, when you watch the movie, you can't watch it with your typical linear narrative mindset. Oh. You have to kind of watch it as if you're. You're, you're, you're being dropped in, you're watching it, and then you're being lifted up and you're being taken out and you want more. You want to know what happened. You want to see what's going on. And so I feel like I understand everything that you're saying, but if you think about it, because there were so many voiceovers in the movie, if I'm not mistaken, I believe... Uh, I believe he, I um, well, I believe that Billy Bob Thornton was actually... Had oh, yeah, I read it. that. You know, and so it's like, it's like we have, it wasn't even about who was doing the voiceover. It was more along the lines of what was going on in the psyche. And that's why I can say that when I got out of the war and I seen Thin Red Line again, it changed my perspective because it was like, you're telling the story from a perspective of what's going on in the mind and the heart of a person. And, and I think that that was beautiful because, and you talk about the Japanese, the Japanese were, were to me, equally as important. And and it's just that we didn't get many subtitles or any subtitles of what was being said. Everyone was ravished by this war of, of the Battle of Guadalcanal, which is the focus. We didn't yeah. need to hear about, you know, Pearl Harbor. We didn't need to hear about Hitler. We It was about that one conflict. Okay, Luan, you, you just blew my mind for a moment. And uh, I, I, I just kind of need to unpack this out loud uh, okay. uh you know in, in terms of uh i mean it, it seems like you're making kind of an argument of like a collective consciousness uh, very much so yeah i mean that's the uh, whole point of the movie <laughs> right and uh so like we've been comparing this to a lot of movies and the funny thing is you know i i worked imax projection on dunkirk and oh, it and it was a couple of days after I started working on Dunkirk that I wrote the review just saying, like, this is a Soviet film. And I mean, not not that it was actually made under the Soviet Union or anything, obviously, you know, I, I, I understand history, but Soviet cinema has always done that where it's it's not about the individual it's about the collective it's about the uh 
it, it's about the nation. It's about the, uh, you know, again, a collective consciousness. It's about um, the shared experiences. I, I mean, Dunkirk did it without voiceover, unlike the Thin Red Line, but I, I mean, yeah, the, I mean, the way that you were describing the Thin Red Line, I actually think that among World War II movies, at least, yeah, I think that Dunkirk might actually be the better comparison. I mean, obviously, Dunkirk was a more kinetic, scary, loud, you know, action movie than The Thin Red Line. But, uh, you know, the, the, you know, at its core, yeah, you can look at The Thin Red Line and think of it as, you know, you know, these are all people who are brothers to the point that it doesn't really matter <laughs> yeah you know <laughs> well but uh, i think the difference is that um dunkirk is about like you said the nation was the character what was the protagonist here yeah. it's not even humans it's it's mostly humans but it's the universe um like everything is interconnected not yeah. not just the uh, obviously the soldiers and the indigenous people the tribe that's a big connection i mean the movie starts with them and ends with them i mean the the, the whole ending of the movie how does it end like jim caviezel who's the most like meditative you know um, uh, you know head in the clouds soldier uh, he he volunteers for this mission because he knows it's uber dangerous, but he thinks that he's somewhat of all the people there would probably stay calm under pressure and might actually be useful. And and then when he gets caught, eventually, um, he, the Japanese come and start talking to him in, in Japanese, but he can't understand them because he only speaks English. And there's this long thing where they talk to him and he doesn't understand and obviously, yeah, you could mime, you could do something, but no, that's the whole intention of the movie. They only speak in words, and words, we've lost the connection with our human brothers. And in this specific case, it's language. Cut two, they kill him. And what do you see? Him swimming with the kids, where all he does is verbal communication, swimming, Play, being playful, smiling, no language is necessary. Only, only miming your meaning, your intention, earning the trust of of the natives. That's what the movie is about. It's it's this tragedy that not only that. Uh, there's even a, a shot. I think the last shot in the movie or something of this plant oh. in the middle of the sand. Uh, like this like onion-like plant, like root plant that grows in the middle of nowhere where a plant has no business to grow, but it was able to grow and survive. So it's, it's this whole idea of life is incredible. Like this universe is incredible. The, the humans and plants and there's the bird that hatches uh, its eggs like at some point in the, in the movie. Like there's all this amazing stuff but then we have to deal with this evil side of all of it, of of killing and and death and miscommunication, and loss of love. The the story with the uh, you know the the loved one that that cheats on him with the 
with the uh, Air Air Force uh, guy. You know, it's it's this bad side of reality, which is so unfortunate. But but it's 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 the side it's the dark side of reality that we have to contend to. But if only we can focus more on the beauty and see that and and love, um, there's just so much to enjoy in this life. So I yeah. So that's a, a, Dunkirk is just the nation. Here we're talking about the universe. So I just think it's such a bigger canvas, and, and it's the thing I most appreciated about it. Yeah. But I will say that well, yes, yeah. But but I I will say to Jason's point. It's a bit too slow. Could have been a bit shorter. I would have liked a bit more Terrence Malick in it. Like I would have liked a bit more of the flashy stuff that I, I really enjoy in some of his other movies. I, I think he had a better balance of it in and the New World and and some of the other ones. But 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 I really appreciated what he was going for here. I actually think he did a better job here than than in uh, Tree of Life, where it's the same concept, just more head on. But this, I really feel like he connected the dots really well. I I I, I want to see the five hour version, honestly. Like that, I yeah. definitely want to see. I think that yeah, I think I, this movie <laughs> would make a. I think this movie would make a fantastic five hour miniseries. As it is, I think they took five hours of beautiful, amazing footage that probably told an incredible story. Uh, according to the internet, it also had big parts from people like Bill Pullman, Gary Oldman, Vigo Mortensen, Martin Sheen, Jason Patrick, and Mickey Rourke entirely cut out of the movie. Not to mention, obviously, 90% of Adrian Brody's story and probably a, a whole lot of all the other people in there, too. I mean, five hours. There, This was like, this was basically like... Uh, like a band of brothers or the Pacific kind of miniseries type thing, only less episodic probably and more of a flow to the whole thing. And they cut it down to, you know, what, two hours and 50 minutes or something like that. I mean, yeah. it's, well, to yeah, me, it's, it's no wonder that it turned out the way it did. I mean, you guys are, are telling me that you, you saw this awesome stuff in it. And I definitely see the, the dots you're connecting, but to me, I think it's uh, I think it's a narrative mess. I mean, it it's like it's not remotely surprising to me that you know that uh, when I think about that story about Adrian Brody finding out about that and all those people being cut out and everything like that, when you find out that the movie was five hours long at one point and that was just the the first cut, and then they cut all that out, it's like yeah, you you're taking vital parts of the story and cutting it out. And that's why it's kind of a mess. I, I personally disagree. Like, I think it's the way Terrence Malick does it. And this was the first movie he's done since um, Days of Heaven. Um, yeah. So it was like Correct. a long period yeah. before. And he did the same thing there. Like Richard Gere was pissed because he said he memorized so many lines of dialogue and they sh shot it. Like they spent days shooting these dialogue scenes that 90% of them were cut from the movie. It was well, I'm not trying to say that, that Terrence Malick doesn't have a way of working that obviously worked on Days of Heaven. I think that's arguably his second best movie. Uh, or I would say definitely his second best movie, in my opinion, having only seen four of them. But um, I, I think that uh, clearly it has worked for him in other movies. I just don't think it worked in this one. I mean... You know, you, you just for a couple examples, you know, it's like once you know that that's how this movie was put together, it, it makes perfect sense when you see a scene like, 
where the Punisher's on the top of the hill talking to Jesus, and they're like kind of having their little moment, and they have this nice little scene talking to each other, and then the scene ends, and I'm just sitting there watching going, well, that was nice. It would have actually been kind of impacting if I had any clue who Tom Jane was in this movie and or had ever seen him once before this. You know, same thing with like Woody Harrelson dying. I've seen him like two seconds before that. And now I get to see the scene where he dies. Like, okay. Uh, I mean, I don't know anything about his character. I don't know having, I don't have any development of him whatsoever. I don't care about him in any way, you know? And then like, you look at the scene after the big battle where they go up the hill and they, and, and uh, uh, Cusack manages to take the, the point that they were hoping to get that whole time and everything and everything settled down. And then uh, Casey Jones is talking to his like loyal troops before they, they leave um, Cotis, you know, and he's got like about seven guys there in a tent or something like that. And he's basically telling them that he's going to take the deal and he's going to, he's saying goodbye to them and stuff like that. And they're all kind of sad to see him go. And he, he turns to them and he says, you guys are like sons to me. And I was like, man, this is like, he's, this is some of the best acting I've seen from him. He's great in it. It's a great scene. It's a meaningful scene, except that when you, the camera turns around and looks at the other four, like seven guys there, I'm like, are they sons to him? I have seen no evidence of this. I don't even recognize any of these guys except Elias Cotis, except for Casey Jones. None of them have had a single moment in this movie that was meaningful because they're it was all cut out like all the only people who have any like lengthy scenes and get cut back to and stuff like that are like jim caviezel nick nolte and uh sean penn and that's about it i mean last thing i want to say about it is that i do think it would just be a different movie like i I just don't think it would be the same movie if it was made into a a limited series and it had all those that plot because it would miss the point that all these are vignettes i almost feel like he should have if you want to know what he should have cut some of the nick nolte stuff easily cut more well, of that yeah, role could've... like the more he could have cut from roles that he gave too much to even caviezel could have like maybe one or two scenes but but it seems like he was the main through line um like through the narration and everything but so Caviezel was the most important, but Nick Nolte had too big of a role, I feel like, because um, then it would have been more poetic, less dialogue scenes, more vignettes. Oh. I love the vignettes. Like, I love the fact that he talks to the guy as he's like, you know, trying to like get rescued, but he's just like, I'll take you. No, I'll stay here. That stuff is meaningful as, as like one act stories that this whole movie has like one act stories strung throughout throughout it and I, to me it was cool it's just not like any other movie and 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 I, and again I, I haven't denied the fact that this is not his it didn't work as well as the new world as well as as um days of heaven but it's not bad like it's 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 uh i appreciated it so gil i i was just gonna say i i agree with that last part you said for sure because when you gave your whole little bit there your spiel about what the movie meant to you and everything, particularly the beginning, the end, and and the story surrounding Jim Caviezel and everything like that, and how that encompasses what he was trying to say. I can definitely see what you're talking about. I think the movie would have been stronger if we focused more on that and less on some of the other stuff. Gave it a little bit more, and I'm not saying take all the Terrence Malick out of it. I'm just saying give it a little more structure. Because 
you know, structure is important to movies, obviously. You know, you need to know where you are, where you're going. You know, that stuff matters. Uh, and, uh, you know, yeah, Malik yeah. and Altman, Coppola, they, they're all guys who can, you know, like, who can make a movie that meanders a bit, you know. And, you know, it, it meandering is usually very bad for movies. And they've definitely made movies that meander and been pretty successful at it sometimes, you know. But just because they've made good meandering movies doesn't mean that you should definitely be meandering in your movie. You know, I, I think that the new world meanders a lot and it's good. You know, I think that uh, Apocalypse Now meanders and it's good. I think this one meanders too much and it needs more structure. Yeah, I think it needed less less structure. Like I, as far as like the the plot, because the whole Nick Nolte thing, I think there the, is he, no plot. It's the, the, <laughs> the, the, the Nick Nolte thing. Yeah, the generic through line here is the Nick Nolte character about how like he's frustrated because he hasn't been promoted, blah blah blah, and then he's gonna take that frustration out on like the the captain. To me, that stuff was not interesting. Uh, the stuff that was interesting to me was the interactions between Sean Penn and Jim Caviezel, the the interaction with the natives, like the interaction between the soldiers. That was the meat of it. I needed less of the generic stuff. Well, let me let me let me say this because you know I'm I'm hearing everything Thank you. you're saying. And uh, here's the thing: what's funny, the Nick Nolte situation. If you think about it, if you think about the beginning of the movie, it's talking about nature and war. Just like with uh with with Tree of Life, they're dealing with uh, nature and grace. If you think about it, right, the mother yeah. being. Grace and the father representing nature. Nick Nolte represented war. Jim Caviezel represented nature. And what was very funny is that if you if you really think about it, if you really think about it, right, uh, Jim Caviezel's character is trying to find peace. And I noticed this. I noticed it a few watch a few a few a few times a long time ago when I watched it, and when I saw it again uh, today, I was like. Oh snaps! It really is there. If you notice, I don't know if you guys remember the movie. If you notice. There's a flashback scene where he's watching his mother and his mother's dying. Jim Caviezel. Oh, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. He said he has the desire to find the same peace in death. But if you notice, there's a birdcage in the shot. If you mm -hmm. notice the movie later on, after, um, I, I believe it's after Jim Caviezel goes back to the, the, you know, to the Islanders, because at first the Islanders is peaceful, it's his paradise. But then he sees the Islanders again and they're in war, they're angry. And then he also notices that there's peace amongst the brothers that are that he's with in war. But when he's walking around the, the little house with Sean Penn, we see the tree, the 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 bird cage again. Oh uh, yeah. Like, oh snaps, and this is right before yeah. he's about to die. So I said, so I felt like what happened was Jim Caviezel found peace, and and Gil, you mentioned it. We didn't understand what he said. Well, um, you know, I, I know people from the Japanese, whatever, you know, and they, they told me what the Japanese soldier says, because I was curious. Mm -hmm. I don't know Japanese. Um, and it, it you could tell in, in that and when you look, look at his the performance of the soldier, the Japanese soldier, you see the pain in something that he's saying. And so I think that what happened was Jim, Jim Caviezel found peace, that same peace that his mother had. He found peace in him dying. And so I understand with the Nick Nolte situation because he represents war. He doesn't care about life. He cares about his promotion. He doesn't care about anything. And he's a he's a a few words, choice words for yeah. being that 
person. But when you get a chance to see those things all around this surrounding with war, and Gil, you mentioned about the guy and his wife, that was, that's to me, one of the most heartbreaking scenes in the movie because it, it, he literally has nowhere to go. Yeah. He gets this letter from his wife saying she's leaving and he's walking around with this letter and he has nowhere to go. And I think that I understand, Jason, what you're saying. I think that we also have to take into consideration, even though it doesn't matter from the regular viewer of the movie, we have to also take into consideration who's making the film. You know, when you're dealing with someone like a like a Terrence Malick who um, is who who will shoot a scene and then stop shooting, turn the camera and shoot a bird flying in the air, um, you have to re recognize that you're dealing with somebody that is a little bit different. And yeah. from what what I, what I was told by him was that 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 scene with um with with you said what you said with what you said Punisher and Jesus uh, talking yeah. <laughs> with Jim Caviezel and Sean Penn talking on the hill. I didn't. Know oh, you mean Tom Jane? Yeah, huh? Tom Jane and and uh, and 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 Jim. Oh, Caviezel. Okay, or are no, you talking about the Birdcage one with 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 Sean Penn? No, no. Well, there's there's a scene with Sean Penn and Jim Caviezel talking not in the hill, but they're talking in the in grass the, in the Birdcage, right? Not, or, not, or oh no, this is like outside. This is oh like, okay, okay. Well, forget, yeah. forget. Well, I'll say this: there's a scene where they're talking and they're outside, um, and they're talking to each other. And what was really funny is that scene was shot in two different locations, um, and they did movie magic, obviously, to make them look like they're actually talking to each other. Jim Caviezel, oh. Guadalcanal, and Sean Penn was in Catalina Island, and they were uh -huh. they shot scene to make it look like they're together. But if you think about it, if Terry has who ha who normally has a skeleton independent student film crew size, you know what I mean, and he's just shooting at the speed of thought, then when you talk about the structure of it, this movie is developing structure as as you're in the editing room and you're putting it together. But I think that the bigger picture is what is the emotional uh, what is the emotional connection and the emotional point that we're trying to make here and 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 and, be, and being willing to sacrifice an actor's screen time to achieve that can't be easy right that that would be very tough but when you think about it it's like okay you know there's people that are still waiting in line to work with Terrence Malick to this day yeah so there has to be something going on right there's got to be something <laughs> going on so I I, well, I I think he's made very good movies in the past well well you know well yeah I mean you know and and, and honestly this movie um I can't speak for I won't speak for uh days of heaven and I will certainly won't speak for Badlands but I know that this movie you know is one of the movies that is an adaptation a lot of his movies are very yeah. personal films. You know, so from, I, th I think I think in matter of fact, I believe that from what from uh, from Tree of Life all the way to and stopping at Hidden Life, those are all very personal films. You know, they're not they're not they're not like New World or or or, or Thin Red Line. They're 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 completely different. And so, um, and yeah, I would love to see the five hour cut of the film. I was hoping they were going to do that with the um, with the with with the the Criterion Collection because yeah, um, I remember when they were putting out the criteria. If you guys know, they they have a Criterion for Tree of Life also. Do you guys have that? I don't have that one. 
Okay. Uh, well, I, I, I'm, I'm on the Criterion channel as a subscriber, so maybe uh, I haven't oh, checked. Well, the Criterion, well, 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 what's funny, Matt, I mean, in, in the Gill, <laughs> if you guys are fans of Tree of Life, um, <laughs> it, uh, the, the. I am. Okay. So <laughs> then, then you need to jump on this immediately. Um, Tree of Life has a different cut. So you have the original theatrical cut, and then you have another cut that didn't make the that was that was tossed on the on the editing room floor. You have a you have a totally different cut of the movie, and he has two versions of the movie on the Criterion Collection. Ooh. So to be able to see this, you know, because Tree of Life was supposed to be eight hours. <laughs> so, is the is it eight hours long? No, 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 it's not that long. Oh. But but I I believe that the I believe that the new cut is. A little under two hours, but oh. it's it's there's stuff in there that I was like, oh wow, like it would be cool to add this with this. It could have been cool to you know put them together, but mm. um, but yeah, it's 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 one of those things where you know Terry moves at the speed of thought, and he and he he enjoys doing that. And I think that at this point in his life, I don't think that he really it really matters to him, um, you know how people feel because. His movies are his babies, and once they're released for people to see, they're not his babies anymore. Yeah, you know what I mean. And and so yeah. it's just okay, you know. So, um, but yeah, I I think that Thin Red Line is a is a very very special film, and you have to take it in context, um, not comparing it with others, but saying okay, you have to have something like this. I I believe you have to have something like this in cinema. If you follow the same war movie starter kit you're going to have the same thing over and over and over again. And I think that there's something very special when you do something a little bit different and you have a different perspective on it. Yeah. That's why I mean, that's to get off into my craziness, but that's why I feel so bad that there wasn't that Schindler's list was made and Aryan papers was not. Mm. I really wish that they mm. would have Aryan papers. Uh, if Stanley Kubrick, he stopped doing that. He was going to do it, but I would have loved to have seen a, a Aryan papers by Stanley Kubrick, you know, to see what his perspective would have been on this, on a horrible event in history. Was, is that it about yeah. the, the events of Schindler's list or about something different? Well, it's something different, but, uh, as, 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 as I respect him, because I think he, he was quoted to say that there's no way that cinema can ever be able to capture the horrors of, uh, the Holocaust. I agree with that, but he stopped production because of Schindler's List. Mm. Yeah, because of because it already happened then yeah. on on uh, Full Metal Jacket that platoon right. came out earlier, so you didn't want to have the same thing happen. Yeah, um, no. yeah. uh, but, but thank I, you for the uh I was gonna say thank you for the analysis because like uh now I appreciate Thin Red Line even more. The the I didn't think about the thing that Nolte Nolte's storyline is is not only parallel to Caviezel, it's also the the thematically opposite like to, to balance it out so it makes perfect sense mm. that he didn't cut either of their stories but cut more of the other stuff so i uh that's that's cool that's uh yeah i from from for if nothing else nick nolte's character was so unappealing that i just kind of like tuned him out you know but i well, but i feel like oh wow that's great that it was actually a point to that well i don't know if it's true but i heard that nick nolte actually when he got the role he wrote a little book about his character on his own so he wrote a whole background on his character. Um, 
because a lot of his scenes were improv. So, um, yeah, mm. I, that's why that's what I was told or, you know, what I read about. But I was like, OK, I don't know if that's true. I mean, I would hate for Nick Nolte to write a book about his character. And he only gets five minutes of screen. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, uh, but yeah, it I mean, I, I, thought, I thought his performance was was awesome. I thought it was great. And I, um, at the same time, yeah, it was just like, OK, but if you remember, neither neither Jim Caviezel or Nick Nolte like had like more well they have more screen time than others but they were even like let go a little bit and we focused on other things yeah you know yeah uh, uh, I let was me gonna ask say, you guys oh, something go ahead. real quick because uh, um, you guys have all seen this more than me i saw this one time when it first came out uh on on like uh cable or hbo or something like that mm -hmm. and then i saw it the other night um so i get the part that uh, that you were saying, Luan, about the um, there's after the battles are over, there's a thing where Jim Caviezel is talking to a couple different people, and it does seem like um, I, I don't think I was picking up on it, but I'm thinking back to the scene now, particularly when he's in the little house that's the birdcage that you're talking about, and he's talking with Sean Penn, he's looking up through the ceiling and stuff like that. I can kind of see the, the scenes you're talking about where he has kind of an epiphany at that point, you know? Um, but I want to ask you guys, do you see any point before that scene, before the battle takes place, the first battle, where anything of any significance happens to his character? Because I don't understand how this guy who went AWOL seven times and clearly has no interest in be in doing his duty or being a part of the military, uh, suddenly gets to this point where like, there's a scene in the movie where he's like staring at a match or something. And he says to the person next to him, I've got to get back to my company or something like that. And he says, these are my people. When he said that, I am not joking at all. I literally thought he it was sarcasm. I did not think he was being serious in the scene. And then, not, not the actor, but the character. I thought he was joking. And then the very next time you see him, I, I believe, I'm pretty sure it's the very next time, the, they're in the shit and there's stuff going on. And uh, Elias Cotis, you know, uh, Casey Jones is trying to like manage this whole debacle and he's been relegated to uh, uh, uh you know um, Come on. yeah yeah, yeah. And, and jesus has been relegated to a stretcher carrier and that he's not happy about he's doing his duty he's carrying off dead bodies which makes sense and then they they need somebody to pick up a gun and run up the hill and nobody wants to do it and he runs up and goes i'll do it and he grabs the gun and he says he stops real quick and he goes up to casey jones and he's like hey boss captain He's like, if, if I survive this, can I come back to the company? And he looks at him and he's like, yeah, yeah, you can. And he's like this nice little moment. And I'm like, where did that all come from? Because a few minutes ago, the last time I saw this guy, he was trying to get the hell out of the military. He was trying to like run away forever, seven times in a row. So where did this character change come from? I wouldn't go as far as say that there was a necessarily a character change. I think that we have to also take into consideration that 
World War II army is not the same as 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 now, or even as the same as in the seventies uh, or the sixties during Vietnam. Um, I think that there were a need. There was a need, and 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 things would. Um, a person going AWOL wasn't abnormal, and then them being and the worst thing you can do instead of sending them home is putting them back in the in in the crap in the mess, you know. Uh, so I, I don't I I I hear what you're saying, and in that situation I don't really try to think of a logical way to explain that. I just say okay, well it, things were a lot different in the World War II military than it would be now. I mean, you can't go a wall once without getting into a lot of trouble. So, yeah. um, so I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I, I, I can't really, you know, do that. You know what I'm saying? Um, or, I'm just wondering what, what, what happened to his character? Like, why did he suddenly do what's almost a 180? And but isn't the whole he... thing with the Sean Penn relationship is that he kind of gets him that he's a serial, um, a wall kind of guy, but he keeps coming back. It's just as that's because well, it is his people. It's just that he's not focused enough to I, always stay I, there. Well, I mean, that's the reason why Jim Caviezel was eventually cast as Jesus is that he loved his enemies so much, right? <laughs> and he kept coming back, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but <laughs> now, um, now I, I mean, it, it just strikes me as. He's a guy who uh, has a certain reverence for the world and nature. And, you know, like as he said at the beginning of the movie, I've seen another world. Uh, But at the same time, he said he's seen another world, but he's aware that he's living in this one. And that's not an easy thing to do. I, I, I also kind of think that, uh, Jason, you kind of brought up some of the history of world war two. Sure. And I, I, I actually think that a lot of people gloss over the reality of the war in the Pacific. Uh, you know, like, I mean, because I mean, the the war against Hitler, you know, in, in Europe was just so cut and dry. Like, you know, this guy's a fucking well, oh, he's a fucking Nazi. So, you know, like, you know, <laughs> it shouldn't have been that funny, but it was. <laughs> but but I mean, the war in the Pacific. I I I really I really have come to think that. And this might actually make part of your point, Jason, that people don't really know the history of the Pacific side of the war very well. Realistically, the the Japanese Empire wasn't all that much better than Nazi Germany. I mean, like, you know, if you were taken hot, if you were taking if you were taken captive under the Japanese during World War II, if you're an American soldier, you were probably fucked. Like, <laughs> I mean, you're probably done. I, I mean, they, I mean, it was pretty brutal on that side of the world too. And, um, 
I, I don't, maybe the movie failed to really examine exactly the stakes that, uh, I, I don't want to say our guys, but well, the soldiers of these United States were going up against, you know, uh, with the Japanese, but like, you know, I, I, I think that, you know, there's a little bit of a perspective there, like with, um, Jesus's final decision uh, at the end of the movie and everything like that, that, you know, like, well, you know, well, I'm done. And, you know, you know, we're under this guise of an insurmountable force and, uh, a, you know, really brutal force that is not going to show us any mercy. So like, let's just all, you know, pull together but I, I, I don't know I, i'm just throwing out words now so i'll, I'll <laughs> stop i'll stop talking <laughs> um it, i don't i don't want to pile onto these sort of points too much but it's interesting you brought that up matt because um one of the things that i found a little frustrating with the movie just on a just on a, like a personal level I, as i'm watching movies sometimes things confuse mm. me and i i usually wait till the end to like look stuff up because i don't want to interrupt the movie you know and that's what uh, I did with this one too. So I was confused while watching the whole movie. And this is going to sound so stupid because it's going to sound like such a pet peeve kind of thing, but it really frustrated me. <laughs> it's like, uh, you know, you said that a, a, a big problem might just be that we as a society don't know enough about the history of the Pacific theater because there aren't as many movies and books and stories about it, you know, aside yeah. from Iwo Jima and Pearl Harbor, that's pretty much what we know, you know? And, um, uh, I was just wanted to point out that like, uh, <laughs> that like, what little I do know about Guadalcanal was the, uh, my understanding of it was that uh, it was famous because, you know, the Marines went in and, and had a big battle there and it was like big, you know, worldwide news mm -hmm. and everything. And that's, uh, and then I saw a little bit of it depicted in the, in the mini series, the Pacific, that's more or less what I knew about Guadalcanal. And then I'm watching this movie and I'm like, these guys are clearly army. They're not Marines. So I'm confused about what's going on here. And it wasn't until uh, I'm like literally doing Google searches and researching stuff after the movie that I realized that um, what this movie is depicting is that after the initial battle with the Marines and everything that was kind of like the big uh, newsworthy stuff, uh, about Guadalcanal and made all this made it a, a named that people know about and associate with World War II. Um, that kind of like took the beach, I guess, or something like that. And there was this big hard fought battle. Then what happened was the events of this movie, which is the army showed up and then spent a bunch of time taking the rest of the island. And it's just like that's the kind of thing where I'm like sitting here watching this going. I don't understand what's happening. And then I have to look it up later and for it to make sense to me, you know, <laughs> I actually, I didn't know. I thought they were Marines, but, um, cause they, they came by sea, but I guess, cause it's a specific kind of, uh, uh, transportation for Marines. I, I really don't know. Uh, or, 
well, I, I mean, the opening sequence in Saving Private Ryan, they use the same kind of landers and uh, that. Yeah. Uh, they were, they were all, Marines. Ar- uh, no, no, they were oh, Rangers. Are the army? Oh, they were Rangers? Yeah, the, oh, yeah okay. they were army. Yeah. Uh, well, in, well, uh, and uh, that's the, the funny thing about this is that in, in Full Metal Jacket, they're Marines, but there's no water involved. <laughs> I know. So. I think um, I could be wrong. Um, if anybody is more knowledgeable about military stuff than me, feel free to. Uh, well, you know, uh, Lawan is is reliably more. I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> I, I just all <laughs> so. I was going to say is my understanding <laughs> was that as Gil said. I think the concept of the Marines was that it was going to be a, you know, uh, originally you, you see in the emblems and everything, this is depicted as well, yeah. but that there's a water aspect involved initially. But I think by the well, time... It's, it's, it's in it, the name. Uh, exactly. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All I'm trying to say is that from what I've read, I think that over time that is not necessarily a a necessity as you as you said you know gil like all of those people in um full metal jacket are all marines there's no water involved there it's not like the military only deploys the marines when water is involved but i do think that that was something that it kind of started out that way or something way 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 back in the day way back yeah well the, 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 well the thing is um when, when it comes down to the Marines and you know all that good stuff with your in, in World War II, the primary uh one of the primary ways of, of travel, especially particularly the islands, whether it was uh the Guadalcanal or 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 um or even um uh, Jima. yeah um the primary source was uh naval vessels and it didn't matter like and I think and it goes to show that army is always the person that have to be there for longer periods of time um it even happened during iraqi freedom the marines were there first and they did their thing and then you know for the next two years you have army guys that are stationed out there for two years marines will be out there for six seven months leave and then you know and, and get have a turnover um so I think that when it when it comes down to it, I mean that you know we're full metal Jackie, yeah, it was about Marines and there was no water involved, but um, but we're also dealing with a war here where you know they they were they were flying by plane, you know, and to get to the particular locations, you know what I'm saying? And so um, you know I I think that you know it, it being about the army, but again I think that when you're when you're you know Jason, I kind of feel like in a way, um, not not in a negative way, but in a way I think that you're you're trying to take this fine tooth comb <laughs> and kind of like, you know, and it's like, it's like, you know, okay, well, yeah, ultimately it's about the service member and yeah. they, during a time of war. It didn't matter if it's the Marines, it doesn't matter if it's the SEALs, it doesn't matter if it's the Army, it's all dealing with this, this situation that's going on with the heart and mind of the service member. And actually, yeah. for me personally, if there was anything that I would say that would be nice to change is to take the flashbacks out because mentally you mm. think of the flashbacks, but other people don't see it. You know what I'm saying? So imagine like the guy who has his wife who later leaves him. We visit them in their ba- in their in their flashbacks a couple times in the movie. Like 15 times, her. I felt like. Yeah, yeah. Before we get the word that she's got, gotten too lonely, what if we just heard her letters and mm. we didn't face? We didn't know what she looked like because, again, if we're all together, you know, uh, Gil, Jason, Matt, 
We're all together. We're all in a war situation. I can show you pictures. I can talk to you. But we don't know each other well enough to know, okay, and I'm, I'm saying this hypothetically, right? We don't know each other well enough to know, like, this, to have the visuals in our head. So I can tell you my visuals of a memory, but I feel it. Y'all don't feel it the way I feel it. And I right. just when you have the audience involved, what would it what would it have been like? I'm just asking, what would it have been like if we never saw his wife? We never saw her swinging on the swing and and all that type of stuff. You know, what 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 would happen if we just heard her voice in a letter and then all of a sudden now she's leaving? It's just like and, and almost honestly, it almost reminds me of um I don't know his the character's name, but young uh Lawrence Fishburne's uh character in in Apocalypse oh. Now listening to his mom with the with the with the listening to his mom's recording before he's killed. Hmm. Like you hear it, but you don't know what she looks like. You don't know anything about the past, and you're you're stuck in there. And I actually appreciated that. I thought that was pretty awesome. Well, I never good. I never thought about that before. Um, but it did want me to bring up something really, really stupid. Uh, I just <laughs> I, I feel like I need to bring it up though. Um, <laughs> okay. and, and I want I want to, to stress this. Okay, before I say this, uh, uh, Luan just drops a. A truth bomb, and you want to say something stupid? I never thought yeah. about it that way, but I kind of agree. I think it it, yeah. it's, it might have a really interesting <laughs> effect on that character's uh, story to not see the flashbacks. But I don't know, really. I'm just 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 kind of venturing out there to kind of agree. But I just felt like throwing this out there, you know. Um, uh, before I even say this, I want to stress again: I think this is a beautiful movie visually. I I actually think John Toll is like the real superstar of this movie, really. But because uh, it's breathtakingly beautiful, I I, I I I'll 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 have comments on that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. But well, all I wanted I mean, to say is down. So after I this, we'll feel very odd about those flashbacks that that you know that you were talking about. I mean. I don't understand in a movie that's so beautiful. I don't understand what's going on in those in those flashbacks. Like they're kind of having like really weird PG thirteen sex. Like it's I, I are they supposed to be having sex? I don't know. Like I mean, they're like fully clothed. I, I mean, I think she's even wearing like a romper or something. Like how would you even get it in there? <laughs> I don't know. This, this gives me sort I mean, of like an opportunity. Like she's having an O face. I mean, like. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've been meaning to say this for a few minutes now, so it's probably a good way to squeeze it in and then Matt can go into the cinematography yeah. rant. But yeah. I personally, I, I I couldn't do it without the flashbacks. To me, the flashbacks make it more tangible. They're cinematic. It's what he does. And, and what I guess he was testing the grounds for like, you know, for Tree of Life and for like uh, New uh, the New World, oh. like where he yeah. had, did more of this stuff, this floaty camera that I, for some reason, I felt like there wasn't enough of it. Um, but I, I do feel like this was necessary. To me, it was more impactful. She's vivacious, like you see it, you feel it, and it's all the more heartbreaking when, because it's, especially if you're not going to give it a lot of screen time, develop this relationship, uh, you're not going to feel the same way just by letters being like read out loud. Me personally. Well, you know, let me ask you a question, though. Yeah, would uh, it, would, do you think it would have been more effective if they were actually having sex? 
Uh, possibly, but I don't know what was the calculations as far as like no. don't go too much into it. I mean, I think I mean, it's I the fact that it's... I don't want I don't want porn. I'm actually going to say no. Uh, by by the way, Gil, uh, good use of the word vivacious. Um, <laughs> uh, but uh, no, no, I, I don't think that that would have been beneficial. I, I mean, you know, there... I, I I mean, especially okay, and Lawan, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I mean, it kind of strikes me uh, that you know, from the perspective of char- uh, of a character that's you know really in love with a woman and is separated from her by miles, and he knows that it's going to be years. It's not really about sex that's going through his mind. It's it, it's 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 about the intimacy. It's about you know just just having that warm body next to you. It's not about sex. It's just like can I just cuddle well, or I something? Well, I think it's I, I think it's also about about sex, yeah. but I, I think it's just the memory, and memories are fleeting. Yeah. Memories are like, yeah. you know how like I don't know me personally at least, not to get too much into this, but me I have when I dream, uh, and I, I oftentimes if I if I'm having a sexual dream, for some reason it always stops short of going all the way. Oh, no. <laughs> you know, I've had like a few times in my life that I've had like a wet dream, but it's pretty rare. And and I think that's like what the dreamlike quality of this is that he can't have the sex because she's not there. It's just a memory. It's a fading memory. It's a dream. Uh, and then he dreams about seeing the, the Air Force guy too. There's a scene of that. He doesn't know what he looks like, but he's imagining and it's all the more heartbreaking. Uh, oh. It's just, you know, all that stuff. Uh, to me, it's like yeah. really good stuff. And and one last thing I need to say, and then I'll let others wrap up. Uh, but um, is is for that reason and other reasons that we mentioned is, and Luan said, like I'm so glad that this movie is out there. This needs to be made. Like this, this mm-hmm. there, we need to have a war movie like this. And and I need to correct myself because uh, some episodes ago. Um, I said something along the lines of like Terrence Malick, like, you know, d- didn't make enough movies early in his career. And then he started making too many of them or, or saying something to the effect that, that, uh, maybe because he made too many of them all in a row that there's like a few misses there. But I, I think, cause I said something about what's really important about him as a filmmaker, um, is that he's extremely influential and, and other newcoming filmmakers have taken cues from him. Uh, like Barry Jenkins and, and some other ones um, that that took the idea of of flow of consciousness, kind of like stream of consciousness type yeah. of filmmaking, and 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 combined it with different stories and 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 maybe slightly um, more traditional stories, but still with that stream of consciousness thing. And his influence on cinema is almost more important than his movies because it's going to live on. But at the same time, I appreciate the fact that I don't care. He should make as many movies as he wants to make, even if they're not all hits, because we get to 
have this. It's like a war movie, but it's like a Terrence Malick war movie. It's it's a movie about discovering the new world, but it's a Terrence Malick movie about discovering the new world, and it's different. And I'm just so happy that these movies are out there. And and who cares? Who cares? Like I think yeah. people should make as many movies as they want. Well, let me say uh, that was um, great. <laughs> just so I don't forget, um, I will say this: as far as Gil, when you talk about the flashbacks. I don't disagree with you. I just always wonder what if we did not have the flashbacks. Not mm. so much that they were out of place because I don't feel that way. I think that you, every point that you made about the flashbacks was spot on. I just always wonder, like, okay, you know, like, like when you use the analogy of a scary movie, and 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 the mass killer is coming after, running after the girl, and then we, she runs into a room, and he goes into the room, and you see him slice her up. That's one thing. But to me, horror is her running into the room, shutting the door to the camera. The killer goes into the room, shuts the door behind him, and you hear it. You don't see it, but you hear it. You hear the murder happen as opposed to seeing it. And I think that that's, that's what, to me, horror, where horror is. But um, so I, I stand with you on, on, on that. And, uh, and I wanted to make sure that I, I cleared, that, um, cleared that part up with, uh, with that. And, and the last thing I'll say um, when you talk about Terry's and his movies are needed. Um, and Jason, I would challenge you with this. I, I know that, you know, you're not, uh, uh, you know, Terry Malick is not on your, <laughs> on your number one list. Um, but I'll say this, if you watch, and I'll give you all a secret, all of you guys a secret. If you watch Tree of Life, then watch To the Wonder, then watch Knights of Cups, these three movies, I will tell you this, if you pay attention, all three of these films in particular are autobiographical. Mm. Okay. So if you ever, if you ever and, and here's the thing, because he doesn't do interviews, he doesn't talk to people, he's, you know, if you really watch all three of the movies, and not, not in order, you don't have to watch them in order, it doesn't matter, but Tree of Life, Knights of Cups, To the Wander, they are they are 100% autobiographical. Hmm. So, All right. you know, take that however you want however you want it. Yeah. Uh I I I I think uh one of my favorite quips about Terrence Malick is um going into a Terrence Malick movie is like being lost in the forest. The scenery is beautiful and you always leave with fewer people than you came in with. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, You're probably. Accurate. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I'm. He's somebody who knows how to create a feast for the eyes. Yes, uh, and the ears. Uh, and by the way, I think that uh, Thin Red Line was one of Hans Zimmer's best scores. Um, by far, and John Powell, oh, Hans Zimmer. I'm surprised actually, I didn't know. Yeah, <laughs> it was pretty good. Yeah, um, and it, 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 it's, it's funny because I remember reading the American cinematographer on The Tree of Life and Emmanuel Lebesky talking about their dogma and joking about the fact that it's full of contradictions, you know, like minimize grain 
but always go for deep focus. Uh, yeah, okay, but you know, usually if you want deep focus, you need faster film stock so you can stop down. Okay, uh, always shoot in backlight and crosslight, but never have flares. Uh, okay, well, if you're shooting in backlight, you're gonna have flares, <laughs> you know, all that stuff. And, uh, yeah, I mean, looking back at, uh, you know, the thin red line, I, I've got to believe that that dogma was still a thing for Terrence Malick, uh, working with John Toll on that movie. And I, I mean, they, you know, they shot, uh, um, the thin red line on anamorphic and that makes flares even more aggressive whatever they do happen and you know they were kind of plentiful in the movie um yeah i i but i i think that that dogma is kind of a an insight into terrence malick's mind as a filmmaker you know as a poet you know as a probably kind of a weird guy you know it's just like yeah i mean Two things can be true at the same time, uh, you know, and 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 screw it. You know. It's it's the Jungian thing. Yeah, Jungian <laughs> full full metal jacket, the one with the it's got the peace. Oh, the dichotomy the, of man. Dichotomy of man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Precisely. Yeah. <laughs> I I I want grain and no grain. I want flares and no flares. I want backlight. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's also just, collective unconscious. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And and I mean, you know, for his last few films, he's had he's had one of the masters of cinematography in Emmanuel Lebesky, uh uh working within his dogma. And I, I mean I don't think that I could do it. I, I don't think that I would have the capability. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, there's there's something special there. You know, like, you know, I, I think that there's something in that where Terrence Malick demands the impossible and he knows that it's impossible and he still demands it and he gets as close as he can to it. Eventually, he just decides, you know, this is as close to impossible as we're going to get. I, I mean, if if Terrence Malick were any more methodical, I don't think that we would ever see a Terrence Malick movie. Yeah, yeah because I mean, you know, he would just blow bajillions of dollars worth of film. He would blow bajillions of dollars worth of time and effort, and he would just say, eh, screw it. You know, uh, this isn't perfect. If he were more methodical, I think he's kind of at that right level of methodical. So there's also a carefree mindset, too, I believe. Um, yeah. There, 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 there's that. There's that we may not have it right now. I don't know exactly what's going on, but we're gonna get there. I remember that when I was when I was doing songs, 
um, I was having a very difficult time on how to execute certain things for the film. Mm -hmm. And I, I tell you, when I, I, I talked, you know, to his wife, uh, Eki, and I said, I really don't know how to handle this piece or whatever. And she got off the phone with me and a few days later, she called me up and she said, well, you know, I was talking to Terry about your concerns. And um, he says, just shoot away, just shoot. I'm like, yeah, but I don't know what I'm shooting. Like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And it turned into a, just shoot, you know, it'll come as you're shooting. So, and now, now me, I was making a digital, right? So it was okay to yeah. just shoot. Um, but uh, but, but uh, I think that, I think that that's something that, uh, the kind of the philosophy that he has is is just going out there and shooting. And now that he's starting to do more digital films, I think that he doesn't have the monkey on his back as far as money is concerned um, to, you know, to get it right the right the first you know the first time. Um, I know that uh, he's not a, a cut act director. He's not a, he doesn't say cut. He just shoots, and sometimes he shoots into the the cans, the, the, the film rolls out, you know? Um, so I think that I agree with what you're saying, Matt. I, I just think that what's, what's very special about him is, is that, you know, he just shoots and a lot of the footage probably will never go anywhere. You know, I, I, I would love to be in his editing room and take some stuff that he didn't use from all of his movies. Right. Wouldn't that be awesome? Yeah. You imagine, can you imagine? You know, so, <laughs> Um, yeah, I, 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 well, I want to know I, what I mean, Gary Oldman did on this movie. <laughs> that's, that's a good one too. Yeah. I'm just curious. Maybe, maybe it doesn't need to be in the movie. I just want to know. Well, now, isn't there a script somewhere out there? To, I'm sure. No, it's oh, read it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think it's, it's like 300 pages from what I understand. Whoa. Mm. Yeah, yeah, so I mean, technically, you could see what Gary Oldman was supposed to be doing. <laughs> as long as I can find out who he played. <laughs> yeah, just like look it up on the, if it's a PDF, you can uh, just like search for the character's name. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, but, um, yeah, I mean, Terrace Malick has clearly been one of the best in the history of cinema of picking cinematographers. Uh, and creating memorable images. I mean, like, I, I, I know that The Tree of Life is a really controversial movie. I mean, I, I remember seeing that movie. Holy, holy crap, that's more than 10 years old at this point. <laughs> and, um... I, I mean, again, I, I, you know, I remember people walking out of it, you know, and I, 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 I'm just thinking about his movies and, you know, you're, you're just sitting in the theater and it's kind of like, you know, going to a laser show at, uh, at a planetarium and like listening to Metallica to a bunch of like, laser images and everything for like two hours uh only it's better it, you know it's a lot better you know but you're just letting it wash over you it it's it's not in a lot of ways you you've got to look at terrence malick 
in a way that I think a lot of us don't really understand poetry. Mm. Because, like, it's not supposed to be something that you get right away. You just... It, you're just sitting... You're you're sitting down and you're reading words and they're washing over you. And they're beautiful and maybe you don't understand why they're beautiful right then and there when you're experiencing it for the first time. But then you you experience it, you process it, and then you go back and you're like, okay. Same words. Holy fuck. This is something amazing. <laughs> I think that's something that Terrence Malick has given to cinema that most people haven't. And uh, I'm I'm aware that I used a profanity right there and I'm not being entirely poetic but <laughs> no, poetry can be uh, <laughs> uh, uh but yeah, i i yeah no i i think that um i i think that terrence malick has given something to the world of cinema that i i strain to think of anybody else doing the same thing uh uh that's its own he, thing, he's, yeah. I'm... He, he's he's deeply unique. He's incredibly valuable. I'm not going to say that he's a perfect filmmaker, obviously. I mean, I didn't give Thin Red Line my best my best rating. But, I mean, you know, the guy just knows how to create a visual language and the funny thing is he creates a visual language and also puts the verbal language over it uh but it, i i think he's actually better at the vi- at the visual language than he is at the verbal language but you know yeah yeah screw it uh but know, by the way but, i think i think the use of voiceover in this movie was brilliant because I, I know jason mentioned yeah. the criticism about it but it's genius if you want to connect all characters as a stream of consciousness, um, mm. collective unconscious, you have them all do a voiceover. That's never been done in a movie really to this degree. Yeah. Or like it's different voices, but they're all human voices and it's just one connecting tissue. Um, I, I think it's genius, but you know, but I, I get it. Some the people don't like would have been a lot better if it had been all one person doing it. Like it, they said, they no, no, that's like, the whole point. No, that's no, what, you, no, that's no. what you're saying. I'm just disagreeing with you. Okay. I mean, I yeah, think yeah. that I would like to hear Billy Bob Thornton's two and a half hour long narration. I mean, you're saying a big co- collective conscience. I think having one voice speak for everyone would have communicated that better. But it might have been jarring if, like, you're seeing a character, but he's not the one talking. I think it's yeah, jarring I, when you have I, eight I, different voiceovers. That's what I think. No, it's hard. a connective I, I, tissue. I, I, I think it's ridiculous. I, yeah, yeah, uh, Jason, <laughs> okay. I could not disagree with you more. Uh, there is no way that I could disagree with you more on this. <laughs> I, yeah, but, I, but it's I, totally I fine. I mean, everybody has I've ever uh, seen that has uh, multiple characters 
doing voiceovers in the same uh, in the same scenes is the David Lynch Dune, and it's so cringy and laughable when you watch that. This is less so because it's supposed to be a little bit more stream of conscious and a little less directly what the character is thinking as they're staring at another person's scene. But it's like, yeah, I I I, I can't. I can't. I don't have anything else to say other than that. I completely disagree. Yeah, well, we, we, we we got all of all of you. We're all, we're all disagreeing with you. I mean, you got to also keep in mind, Jason, that the voiceovers were done after the movie was was wrapped and 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 was cut, and they were cutting the film. The voiceovers were being done at that particular moment. I know that um, one one. I I don't know. I think it was a um, um, the uh, the. Production designer uh, Jack uh, Jack, uh, I forgot his last name. Uh, 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 Frisk. 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 Yeah, Frisk. I was like Frost. Jack Frost. I, 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 something like that. Yeah, it's something like that. Yeah, he, uh, he, he, he said that um, that the the you know for what they shot, there was a lot of scenes that were very heavy in dialogue, and that he actually started cutting the dialogue out of the movie in editing to make it more visual. So um, the voiceover thing wasn't, it, it was, you know, it's obviously it's a trademark now of, of Terry. Um, because if you really think about it, if you watch his first two movies, especially Badlands, I mean, there was a little bit of voiceover, but it wasn't like through the whole movie. And now we know, you know, when we think of voiceover, we hear a lot of whispering voiceovers in, in, in Terry's films. I think that's just, that's just the way to go. And that's the best way to kind of express someone's mind. And again, I, I love the idea of doing multiple, having multiple actors doing uh, voiceover. I, I, as, as Gil said, connective tissue. I thought that was awesome. Yeah. Well, I, and actually, you know, you think about that and, uh, you know, days of heaven only had one character doing the voiceover and everything. Um, a hidden life, which was Terry's last film. I'm trying to remember. There's not much voiceover in that one, neither. If I'm if I'm not if I'm not mistaken, there is some, but it's not a lot. Have you guys seen that? I haven't seen that one yet. I, I no. that's the one where it's like a is that like a, a period piece or something? It, well, it takes place another is another World War Two. Uh, yeah, so not not a, not a war movie. It just takes yeah. place. I remember the trailers. I was really excited to see it. And the next thing I knew, it was like gone out of the theaters. I never had a chance to see it. Oh, yeah. Great movie. Another great movie. But anyway, I, I don't remember there being as much voiceover as like Thin Red Line or New World or even Tree of Life. Hmm. Uh, now I want to see it even more because I, I, it's interesting yeah. that it's a, the, a bit The different. trailer looked really good to me. I just wasn't sure... Uh, I, I it just was like it, I remember it just disappearing from the theaters, and I was like, ah. <laughs> it actually it, it got actually better reviews than than the movies prior to it. So um, I was gonna see it; it just never yeah. worked out. But I uh, yeah, this definitely motivates me to catch up on the ones I haven't seen. Yeah, uh, well, hmm. yeah, uh, yeah. I'll, I'll I'll try to watch it tonight. Actually, if I have the energy. But um, <laughs> why? <laughs> you don't have to kill yourself. <laughs> well, I disagree, not? Matt. You must watch it tonight. Like, <laughs> not to mention, he's like an like hour later. He's well, like Matt, 11 p.m. Like too much. Yeah, it, why? Um, well, you you'll probably like it just fine. But just be yeah. warned. Um, <laughs> uh, when I, when I when I had the uh, when I had the opportunity to go to his office and uh, he showed me footage from Hidden Life, probably about. 
five or six months before it was released. Mm -hmm. And I asked him, I said, man, I said, this is some beautiful image. I said, what, what, uh, what camera did you use? And I don't think you're going to like the answer. He said, he said, oh, I, he said, oh, well, you know, you know, we used the red camera for this film. And he said a couple shots, we used the Osmo. I was like, the Osmo? The Osmo? <laughs> like, the little Osmo? It's like, yeah. I was like, wow. So he said, color grading does a lot of great things. So I said, wow. So he shot some of the movie on film, some of it on digital, and he was able, they yeah. were able to make a match. So. Oh, I, I think Ansel Adams once said that the uh, the most important uh, piece of equipment in a photography setup is 12 inches behind the viewfinder. Uh, <laughs> you know, namely the photographer. <laughs> yeah. And of I'm, course, I'm, I'm uh, of course I'm saying that after I just bought a four by five camera and all that stuff. Ah. Well, well, man, I'm gonna, I'm gonna just start calling you Mr. New Beverly. <laughs> <laughs> Long live 35 I, millimeter. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I, I, I won't. Uh, uh, yeah, I won't go against that. Well, I was just gonna yeah. say to reiterate everything I was trying to make. Uh, my points I was trying to make is simply that uh, I, I really like. Uh, the several of the Terrence Malick movies I've seen. I just think that some of his other ones uh, he seemed to do better than this one. I think, uh, you know, it's it, it. I I definitely liked some of the stuff you guys have said as far as like, um, especially some of the symbolism that I missed, you know, when I was watching it and uh -huh. things like that. I just think that there's probably even within the cuts of this film, I think there's a better movie that could exist with it. But um, my favorite thing that I read when I was looking at this movie was uh, a review that somebody wrote um, that said simply uh, makes apocalypse now look like a focused and concise piece of work. <laughs> That's pretty harsh, man. <laughs> it is harsh. It is harsh, but it was a it was a rotten tomato thing. I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, everybody has their opinions, but yeah, I mean, you're looking uh, for a specific kind of movie that this just wasn't. You just no, I'm not, watch I'm not a different war movie. Specific kind of movie. I, I I I I like Terrence Malick movies. I just think that his formula turned out a better movie in his next film after this. Yeah, one. I, yeah, yeah, no, no. There's no denying. I, we've, I think, all said that like we have other movies of his that we like more, but, uh, and maybe this was a testing ground for some of these things. Yeah, that he later did even better, but, but, but yeah, but it's it, it's it is what it is, and and I'm glad we have it, and yeah, it could have been better, but there's no changing that. Well, <laughs> I I mean, if you're going to make a World War II movie, you're, I, I mean. You're not going to beat Come and See. I mean, Come and See is the best movie ever made. So, <laughs> well, you know, I mean, you know, it's not uh, my uh, favorite, uh, you know, war movie, but, <laughs> but, that's, but it is a very good movie. We did, yeah, you know, pretty right. much state it was so, one of the masterpieces. But a scary we, ass bird. Yeah. <laughs> Stork. Stork. Yeah, it's a bird. Yeah. It is, yeah, a bird. Anyways, uh, okay, right. so I can I can cut this now. Yeah. Um, well, um, well, but but yeah, but thank you so much, uh, Luan. Hopefully, uh, we haven't scared you from maybe doing this again sometime in the future. <laughs> let, me know, let me know when you want me back. I'm I'm ready to go. 
Thank you for having me on. Right on. We'll definitely have you back. Great.